smells like something is burning in the car. Smells like a barbecue at the back of the car. I don't know what's happening. Rear the Grid, episode three, back again for another week. I'm your host, Matt, joined as always by my good friend, Jashan. Good friends, are we? That's, that's news to me, but that's, yeah, that's happy to be here, happy to be and here. And this week, we've expanded. If you want to introduce yourself, mate. Yeah, g'day, Spencer here. Happy to be with you boys this week, um, bringing up the rear of the grid, ready to go. <laughs> that was clean, actually. That was impressive. Very nice. Like that. This week's show, we take a bit of a look at another week of Mercedes domination. What on earth is happening over at Red Bull? And for the third week running, Ferrari. Mm. Plenty more on this week's episode of Rear the Grid. So here we are, the Hungarian Grand Prix, a controversial Grand Prix within this podcast, I think. Bit of some differences of opinion, maybe. But I'll start with you, Jashan. What mm. did you make of this week's race? I thought it was fairly enjoyable. Um, pretty historic in, in kind of the records that were toppled by a certain Lewis Hamilton. And um, some exciting kind of races in the midfield. I, I, I enjoyed it overall. I actually quite had, had a good time, yeah. What about you, Spence? Yeah, I thought it was a good race. Um, thought it started off pretty well. Um, Verstappen obviously been in it into the wall, gave us a little bit of drama early. Um, no rain in the middle made things a little bit more boring than what we were hoping for. A fair few cars were looking like they were hoping to get onto the, the wets and then the hards. Um, and I think that binned Leclerc's race. But overall, in terms of <laughs> Mercedes um, domination, it was a, a solid race and a, yeah, a good one to go into Britain for. Well, I think uh, I think I'm definitely yeah I'm I'm the one with maybe the slightly different opinion this week, but I think also that maybe have just been a little bit of you know the promise of rain gave you such high expectations of what it could be, and then just didn't deliver. But uh, you touched on it in your pieces there, Spencer. We'll start. How about we start with Max Verstappen? <laughs> interesting, interesting, well, interesting weekend, interesting race for Max himself, obviously putting it in the fence on his outlap to get to the grid and then the heroes of the weekend, the Red Bull mechanics, somehow getting that car ready for the Grand Prix and then he raced a second. What did you make of that? Um, I think it, it sort of comes back to, I guess, where's Red Bull's qualifying pace gone this weekend? Um, Albon failed to get into Q3, um, would seem pretty unhappy with where he was put out in the traffic. Um, Max obviously in seventh is not where we expected him to be, particularly getting pole oh, last year. Um, and it's just so disappointing because it, you can't even say that if he didn't have that crash, that he could have gone better. Because after the first lap, Hamilton was four seconds ahead of Stroll and Verstappen was three seconds behind um, him. So pretty much from lap one, the unless the rain did come, it was just, you know, Hamilton the rest of the way like I think Verstappen maybe had one or two laps in the first 20 where he was slightly faster than Lewis otherwise he was just driving that thing to perfection so yeah I think you definitely said it's a thing like coming second exceeded Max and Red Bull's expectations for that race even before the crash yep that's not what you want is it for Red Bull but then I think yeah the the issue was it exceeded their expectations only after they qualified in seventh I think had they qualified oh, yeah. in second or even third, 
um, and Verstappen was able to get onto Lewis's tail early, the race could have been very different. That's one of those things where the end of last week, end of Styria, um, both Albon and Verstappen came out and said that they knew what was wrong with the car and they knew how to improve it, and the car seemed worse for my money this weekend overall. Oh, I'd, I'd agree. Especially in qualifying, obviously. And just a little fun fact for you, um, last year, the exact same track at Hungaro Ring, Alex Albon qualified P12 in a Toro Rosso, and he's qualified P13 this year in a Red Bull. P13 behind a Williams. Facts. Yeah. Behind a Williams, yeah, quite. Good so Lord. It, yeah, worrying, I think, for Red Bull. <laughs> well, no, I worrying. think oh, something that's sort of come out of that as well, like, you're starting to feel like there's possibly some friction as well at Red Bull, so certainly neither driver seems happy with the car. But mm. Alex doesn't see Alex Albon starting to sound like he's very short with the team and not happy with the situation and situations they're putting him in. Yeah, like like Spence mentioned in in qualifying, he was put out into traffic after repeatedly saying, "I want to I want to have clean air here," and they just kind of ignored him. But there's already talk of Albon potentially getting replaced. Like this is what the pressure on being Max Verstappen's teammate is that. You have to be amazing, otherwise he will just leave you in the dust. Like, David Croft was talking in this race about, okay, maybe Albon's time is up. And that's insane. Oh, yeah. It's the third Grand Prix. But he's not, but he's not done that badly, you know. He raced all right. Well, this was the two... Was it... Yeah, the two the two times Hamilton's hit him, the only two times he's failed to finish in the top six, is, is it not? Uh, yeah, he's had ten top six finishes and 12 oh, starts for Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's seen. I'll maybe get you to comment on this, Spencer. But it's just—it's a constant theme with Red Bull over the last half a decade or more, isn't it? They're just—they're so short with how much of a chance they give their second drivers, particularly since Verstappen's been in the team. Yeah, well, I think I think how good Verstappen was early, I think clouded not only Red Bull's judgment on young drivers, but I think a lot of other teams because now we're seeing an influx of all these young guys coming through. Um, and don't get me wrong, like there are a few like fantastic drivers, like probably the second best young driver behind Max is Lando. But, you know, even Lando's not winning races in his first start in a you know, a top car. Um, and I think I can see it from both perspectives where Albon's obviously frustrated because he knows that, you know, Gasly got the got the flick for him. Um, and it could very well happen to him again for, you know, anybody else, maybe a particular German driver. Um, I don't know. But then from Red Bull's perspective, I think 10 top six finishes in the last 12 is awesome. But Red Bull doesn't want 10 or 12 points in a race. They want somebody to help Max chase down those Mercedes. And last week at the Styrian Grand Prix, Albon just couldn't do that. And um, Hamilton was allowed to get the undercut early. And Verstappen just had to, you know, hope and pray that Bottas wouldn't chase him down. Obviously, that happened. Um and since Ricardo left, yeah, they just haven't done a very good job in prioritising their um, number two driver. Um, and most other teams seem to be going away from that, I think, as well. Like, yeah, I would say, a good point there, actually. Yeah, like, obviously oh. Hamilton is the GOAT, so, you know, but there's never... Yeah. Obviously, okay, all right. There's never been any issues with Bottas. If Bottas has been faster, Hamilton's never, you know, like complained and moaned um, like he did with Rosberg. There's always been a lot of sort of race. Vettel and Leclerc last year showed a little bit too much eagerness. Um, McLaren yeah. last week showed team orders. They let um, Lando go through like Carlos, but then 
with that Danny Rick, Max Verstappen situation, they had a very clear number one and they wanted him, Danny to be number two. And since then, I think they've been searching for this young guy to just show up and do what Max did five years ago. But I don't think that's very... I think it's very likely to happen when you've got a you know one of the most prestigious young talents in the last 20 years in your car. I think it's a bit of a thing. Red Bull's trying to play both sides too much because I don't, I don't think Red Bull doesn't want... I think Red Bull wants someone to be a good number two max who can act as a rear gunner and obviously get that car going competitively enough to be able to, you know, be up with the Mercedes or, you know, Ferrari returns to the top of the pack, the Ferraris. But I don't... I'm starting to really buy into the fact I don't think Red Bull wants someone who's good enough to actually go toe-to-toe with Verstappen. They want Verstappen to be exactly. happy and feel comfortable as that number one. And so you, you can't you can't have it both ways. Either you've got someone like Albon who is good enough to at least get you those consistent points every week, or you're going to have to... That's the thing. If they were going to put Seb in that car, or, you know, if they were to go completely left field and put Sergio Perez in that car, Perez in that car or something, you're, oh. you know, you're yeah. looking at putting someone who might actually give, you know... Max trouble on a consistent basis, regularly beat Max, take it to Max, and you know, have situations where you have to put team orders with Max. I don't know whether Red Bull or Max want that, so they need to make a decision yep. of what they actually want to do, and just go with it. And I think Danny Rick's getting off with that. Oh, completely. Yeah. Um, they need to focus on the car. There was a moment. Um, I don't remember exactly the the lap, but. Hamilton and Verstappen been out on the same tyres for a while, and um, you know how like on the broadcast they bring up tyre deck and yep. and Hamilton's were all green like seventy sixty percent and and Verstappen's was like ten yes. twenty thirty yep. percent yeah they had so one thirty and three tens um and one, yeah. going back to That's Verstappen's insane. age is the issue that he like he's still too young to truly understand how to set up the car and like you know they were saying like Albon and Verstappen both know like what's wrong with the car um but they don't know how to fix it that's one thing Mercedes have done so well the last few years I think it was maybe 2017 or 2018 Ferrari were leading um well, I think maybe Vettel was ahead of Hamilton after nine or ten races they Eight, went into yeah, the 2018. yeah they went into the break and came back and they just ran away with it because guys like Hamilton and Bottas have been doing this stuff for so long that it's not only the fact that they know what's wrong with the car, they can identify what needs to be fixed and tell their engineers what they need yeah. to be looking at. Max is 22 years old. He's still so, so young. Jesus and Christ. Like, you it's forget so, just how young he is. Yeah, and I think, like, when, like, did, you know, what was it? Have Were the Red Bulls just simply overachieving for all those years? Like, was um, there some kind of magic formula in that old Renault engine? And now that they've, you know... I know pre-season talking about that Honda Power unit, like it sounded like a purring kitten. It was looking good on testing. And now we've gone mm. into the races and, you know, that practice and qualifying pace just isn't translating to race pace. And then last week, or sorry, this um, the Hungarian Grand Prix just gone, the race pace was pretty good outside of the Mercedes, but then it didn't matter because Verstappen was already... 15 seconds down the road after the first two yeah, laps. Yeah, we're talking about potentially competing with Mercedes and actually, you know... Well, the, this was a preseason that led to optimism. Yeah, 100%. And that's probably a good time to launch, too, I think. That's what they're at. And just how good Mercedes is starting to look. Like, is this possibly, in this now, what... This is year six or seven 
of the Mercedes era. 2014, they won their first Is this possibly the best car Mercedes have ever actually produced? Oh. This year's car? This year's car. It's certainly... Mm. It, you've got to consider it a possibility. Because... It might just be a few of the other cars that should be competing with them are just kind of letting their teams down and making them look like, this thing, like this is, this, I reckon this is probably the most powerful Mercedes they've had and that, because I know they, that thing they put a lot of effort into, as Mercedes does, they identified, you know, they had a power disadvantage to Ferrari, so they put a lot of effort into, you know, upgrading their power unit, and then obviously Ferrari's fallen off a cliff, and it sort of just left them heads and shoulders above everyone else. Lewis Hamilton lapped every single driver except for Alex Albon, who was in P5. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. It's the dichotomy of just car ability. Yeah. It's insane. I, th- I think this might be the no. most the most dominant um, Mercedes car, at least early season, because they've typically never, you know, not they haven't started poorly, but it's always, you know, a lot of the early oh, seasons, yeah. last few years, has seen like you're like, oh, okay, like there could be, you know, some like maybe Max or Sebastian or you know Charles last year. Like it looked like there could be some competition being brought to them. I yeah. think it just comes down to, sorry, that the Mercedes team just has everything working perfectly. Like the the Ferrari factory had to close a lot earlier, and they had issues with COVID, so that obviously set them back. And we can see that now because they're still trying to push stuff through the testing. Issues with being Ferrari. Red Bull don't make their own engine, and even if they have you know complete um, transparency with Honda, there's always been issues with that sort of stuff. Whereas Mercedes, literally, like they've made you know they made that hybrid engine, like they were testing it two years before the regs came through. As soon as it came in, it fit their chassis perfectly. They've got all the the money and the resources in the world, and since then, it's you know with the F1, like the richer get richer. That's it, six constructors mm-hmm. championships in a row. That's a that's a lot of money. That's so yeah. much money that they can just keep reinvesting into the team. You've got, I, I would say, the best driver and probably the third or fourth best driver in your car. Um, and it wasn't even the power advantage which surprised me in Hungary. It was just like the 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 car looked like it was glued to the track. Well, so like turn four. It, no, I was, was going to say I think Hungary. It was sort of like this is certainly okay compared to any of the other last few years. It looks like Mercedes has the best chassis as well this year because, yeah, that car aerodynamically was just, yeah, as you said, glued to the track. Yeah, they, the way they were fired, like the qualifying lap that Hamilton took, that was the back thing, but nine tenths of a second quicker than anybody else. He yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah. took turn four flat out, and I would say that he was on the full fr- throttle for probably 80% of that lap. It was just unbelievable. He barely hit the brakes at all. It was just lean off the throttle power down through the apex um and you know you can make the argument of oh you know if anybody was in that car they'd be doing well but there's something to be said as well just like how well lewis handles all of the pressure um because after the race one it was will bottas challenge hamilton for the championship and now you know no 50 points back to back did he get fastest lap in hungary as well hamilton yes he did, yes, yeah. He did. So fifty-one out of a possible fifty-two points. Wait, no, did he at the end? He did get a fresh pissed off. He did. Right he did get a fresh end. pissed yeah, off okay. for the end, and uh, as this, they all went on a little right, shootout right. for fastest lap. But you know, he, he did that comfortably. It, it it is very much already looking 
like it is going to be another year of Lewis, another year of Mercedes, and specifically another year of Lewis Hamilton. He he became the first driver ever to win three times in a row in Hungary. Um, he there was his eighth victory there, which equals Schumacher's record for most wins at any one venue. Um, yes, it was okay. So he you mentioned the fastest lap in qualifying. That was his ninetieth pole, which is already a record anyway. Track I record. I think the, he's clues at clo- uh, closing in on Schumacher's record for most race wins as well. He is. I think he needs five more. Only five, good lord. Only five more, yep. And he was the first man ever to lead in 150 Formula 1 races. So, you know, just... (laughs) It's insane. I mean, you've got to give your props to Mercedes. As you were saying, they started, you know, their testing on this hybrid engine so much before. As much as we lament how much they've dominated the last half decade, they do in many ways deserve it. The fact that it feels a bit like they've been playing 4D chess while everyone else is still just playing the regular 2D... 2D chess, not even not even 3D. They're still back in 2D yeah, chess. Yeah, certain constructors are going back to 1D, I think, at the moment. But... <laughs> Alfa Romeo. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, maybe Ferrari as well. But... Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, it's just domination. It's 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 in a way it's entertaining to see this insane legacy, but it's also I you'd want more competition. Is this is this the first year where you can't change the engine midway through like a season? I don't think this is. Oh, because I know like the it's the first Formula or second. It's the first or second. Yeah, it, it may. I'm trying. I, that might have been something last year. I'm not sure, but no, you're right. Yes, you can no longer. Engines are frozen once the season starts. You can't. Right. Okay. Just do it so certainly. I mean, you think you can make small changes, but you know you can't so, massively yeah. overhaul your engine now. And, and that theoretically, like these kind of changes in regulations, should theoretically help the other constructors. But if they screw up the engine at first, like a certain Scarlet car then it's kind of... Where do you go from there? Backwards. Yes. <laughs> Especially if you put your best driver on soft tyres when you should have yes, put them well. on medium tyres. Do you recall that happening on, in, in Hungary, Matthew? I do, I uh. do. So we'll, we'll, leap, we'll leap into that midfield now. Obviously, we'll start, we'll start with Ferrari. Um, a mixed weekend, to say the least, for Ferrari, Spencer. Yeah, yeah, they... Um... Yeah, like Jashan just touched on there, um, putting yeah, Leclerc on the the softs when you know you start on the wet, so you've pretty much got you know free reign to do whatever you want. Um, most you know most good drivers or top teams they only use the softs at the start because they're locked into them, and then if they're that far ahead at the end and they want that extra point, uh, Hamilton they go for it there. Um, interesting point that they called Vettel in for the softs mm. um, and he midway through turn five told them that they should probably go to mediums with it drying up and the you know the engineers go back and go oh, yeah copy copy <clears throat> who do Ferrari have in charge of those decisions if your driver while racing has to do your strategy for you like shouldn't you have that te- telemetry up on the screen and you just like look and see okay what are Hamilton, what are Bottas, what are Verstappen doing? Um, and it makes no sense as well that Leclerc, who's going to be there for the future until I think 2022, is the one that gets shafted on this strategy. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. It just seems like they've been shooting themselves in the foot for so long now that like you can't even get your car right to begin with, but then you're also going to put him on softs and he fought, felt what, like, I think P six to P eleven, I think, on those tires wasn't yep. good. Wasn't pretty in about seventeen laps. Even if you are waiting for the rain, 
just like just still put the mediums on like i think all weekend the commentators were saying that the softs were not like performing well they were graining up really quickly um and that you yeah. really only had five to ten laps of anything decent with them but still they persisted with i don't know if it was them to try to be different and you know try to you know make a, a big play but whatever they were trying to do it just didn't didn't work at all I think, as you said, obviously, the Vettel making his call to go to the mediums. I think that's one of those situations where if a lot more of the teams had have gone to the stops. It was a mixture, and, like, it seemed like everyone that, and then Vettel's gone all in his experience. Because, obviously, drivers do sometimes have a better feel for it. But it wasn't a case of Vettel with his years of experience being like, well, no, you know, I know everyone's gone softs, but I think mediums are the right tyre. It was the case of Ferrari. Everyone, everyone knowing mediums was the way to go. Ferrari being like, oh, let's do softs, and Vettel going, guys... That's ridiculous. Yeah, Leclerc was the, only, was the only top 10 driver who went out on softs. He was the outlier. And that probably shows Leclerc's still lack of myster- experience mm-hmm. and maturity to not be able to maybe identify that himself and, you know, also possibly make that call to the team. And you saw, I think, afterwards on the radio, once he got out there and was already off the pace and struggling, then he sort of made the, guys, why have you put me on these tyres? But, you know, you saw Seb was able to stop that from happening and go, no, guys, I'm not. you're not putting me on softs. Yeah, and yeah, it's hard for Leclerc because he obviously doesn't have all that information to him. But yeah, I don't know. Like, again, we're not Formula One drivers. Like, it's a lot easier for us to sort of like sit back on the the sideline and you know critique. But I would just be asking those questions. Sixty-six percent of us aren't even drivers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm Charles on my learners, which expired, I'm just like I'm asking the team like, okay, what like. What is what is Verstappen doing? What are the racing points doing? Like what like because that's it. Like don't like don't go against the flow. Like if everybody else was going on softs, and you go, oh, actually, let's go on mediums. Let's get a longer stint going. I'm happy for that. Like I reckon that's you know that's the sort of like risk that you play. But you never play a risk on a the tire that has less life in it, um, yeah. and particularly Unless as well like the track conditions are terrible. Yeah. What's it? We we'd seen it all weekend. We saw it in F two. We saw it probably a bit in F three. Like the soft tire, soft tires were just not lasting. Graining was horrible this weekend at Hungary. So it, it's an illogical decision. I saw something last night about Ferrari have done a massive reshuffle um, of their um, like their engineers, their technical directors. I yeah, but I saw it, that this morning. But it just seems to me like. Um, like Mercedes had, um, like, have always sort of had like one or two people making the key decisions. Um, and, you know, up up until last year, that was like you know Nicky Lauda and Toto Wolff. But it was that thing where, like, you look at, I look at Toto, and that's a man where if he tells me to do something or he says something, I'm going to do it. And credit to him because Lewis has become a lot less whiny since he's left McLaren and gone to Mercedes because I think he's actually started to realise that. Even though you're really, really good, we're paid to make your life easier, and he goes with it. But I worry with Ferrari, you know, does like how much trust does Charles, like Charles and Sebastian have in those people making those decisions? And it goes to show with Vettel, he doesn't have much because when they give him a strategy, he goes, "No, I'm going to do this yeah. instead." Mm. Well, I think I've said it both of the first two weeks of this podcast. I think, but. It's just another day at Ferrari, isn't it? And I, they they seem overly cautious as well for me. Like in their like, okay, the softs, whatever. That's just stupid. But there was a moment early on when everyone was pitting off the inters and onto dries, and Vettel was in pit lane, 
and there was a little bit of traffic, sure, but they they finished their pit stop, and they were they, they there was a gap to send him out, they an did, easy yeah. gap, and they didn't, and he lost I think seven seconds and three places because of it. Yeah, and it's just it I don't know. It's not they're not backing themselves in. Like I imagine if Ferrari were the team who like let's say Charles Leclerc crashes in that that pre race lap. Oh, there's no way that car's getting on the grid. Not a chance. The Red Bull mechanics fixed that car in 18 minutes. It was an hour and a half job. There's no way Ferrari are pulling that off. They just don't... They're not backing themselves in. They don't have the decision maker, like like Spencer's saying. I don't know. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's, it's hard to watch at times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, nothing against... Right. Um, is it Bonotto? Yeah, Matteo Bonotto. Yeah, like, I look at Toto. I look at um, Horner. And those are two guys that, you know, they they seem like they know how to crack the Gunther whip. Gunther Steiner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he... So I think um, Bonotto, he was for many years um, on the engine, like engineer side of things. And just through like slowly but surely, like people above him getting, you know, like turfed out, turfed out. Like at Mercedes and Red Bull, it seems like, okay, we have, we have a person here ready to go. Um, we're going to let them do their thing and see where we can, like, where we go right, where we go wrong. If Horner had the same, um, like, results that he's had a Red Bull for Ferrari, he would have been gone two or three years ago. Like, Ferrari oh, don't have Ferrari's that patience. never showing patience. And I think it's because they don't honestly know what they're doing and they're st- stuck in that in-between. It's like, you had Seb and Kimi for a few years and then even before that you had Alonso driving your car and Massa who's pretty like you know handy and you have outside of Raikkonen's in what 2007 or 2008 you have no championships to show for it with a combined seven world championships that your drivers have won so at some point when you're going to start looking at yourselves and go hang on maybe we need to just strip this down and do a rebuild like you've got those drivers in place now with Carlos and Charles but you need to come out and say, like, hey, for the next few years, we're going to be more towards the midfield than we are towards the top. And, I don't know, maybe they are sneakily, like, going for these new regs. And they saw what Mercedes did before the turbo hybrid era. And they go, all right, you know, one, two more years of heartache, and then we're going to hit the ground running in 2022. But I don't That's... think they're that smart to do that. <laughs> I was I was just about to say the thing. Like, I think that that would be the sensible thing to do. Just go, okay, well, uh... we're right, this year's a write-off. Next year might as well be a write-off. Let's start building our 2022 car. But yeah, do you actually trust Ferrari to do that? Or will they just fire everyone, start from scratch, and, you know, it'll all be a mess? Yeah, you mentioned Carlos Science, and we talked about this last week. Um, you firmly believe that he's w- stepping into a worse position than he is currently. I, I'm start. I am starting to, especially with the fact that um, McLaren will be getting that Mercedes power unit yeah. going next year. And See, I was that. iffy, but now I've thought about it's, it a bit more. It seems it seems ha- accurate. It starts to feel like Carlos Sainz is possibly. Obviously, there's still a, the brand affiliation of driving for the Scuderia, but Carlos Sainz may have effectively jumped himself into a worse seat going forward which is not ideal for Carlos. Yeah, I think on, on face value, it looks like um, a downgrade at the moment. Um, but it's also perspective is a big thing as well. Like at the moment, Ferrari are horrendously underachieving of what we thought they would do. And like, you know, yeah, Charles still got a second 
um, in the Austrian yes. Grand Prix. Um, obviously, there was the um, the issue uh, two weeks ago, the Styrian Grand Prix, where I think Charles' controller must have turned off when he went into turn three or so. I don't know what Yeah, happened. I think um, that's battery, batteries went down. Well, we'll use that as the <laughs> excuse. Um, and then last week, you know, a poor tyre decision cost them. They don't have that outright speed and pace that they have in the previous years. But, you know, it's more like where we expect Ferrari to be every year that's the issue, whereas McLaren are sort of in that similar spot and we're saying that they're overachieving. I think that Carlos wants, like, he doesn't just want the the paycheck. Like, he doesn't just want to um, drive to Ferrari for the sake of being a Ferrari driver. I think that he, gen- like, because he will, like, idolise Alonso growing up. Like, I've seen plenty of photos yes, online and stuff true. of him in his Ferrari gear. And just the way... Yeah, right, then. Through drive to some uh, hey, he's hey, he he's done his time. He did his time at Renault. He doesn't need that again. And through like he's like Zach Brown. Um, I think it's Zach Brown, the um, CEO. Yep. He speaks very highly of Carlos's ability to understand the team dynamic and the car. And obviously, his father um, was a World Rally champion. Was he well, multiple time World Rally champion? One of the all-time yeah. greats and multiple time Dakar champion too. Oh, damn. Yeah. He has that DNA in him where I hope that they don't go Leclerc 1, Science 2. Like, I hope it's as even as possible because I they think... They will, though. Like, I think Carlos can bring the best out of, like, Leclerc's pre-race um, knowledge. And then I think Charles can get the best out of Carlos's race pace and they can push each other. Absolutely. Because like, we yeah. thought that Ricardo, you know... Ricardo going to Renault and then Carlos Sainz pretty much having to crawl into McLaren was the, you know, oh, like, you know, um, Ricardo's definitely getting better out of this. Renault just finished fourth. Like, they're looking really good for next year. And then now the roles have completely reversed. And the seat that Ricardo initially wanted when leaving Red Bull, Sainz got, and now he's taking Sainz's empty seat. So, Catch us about Ocon at um, McLaren in 2022, because that's apparently the path now. Renault to McLaren. <laughs> But this, like, like you're saying, like you, you had Renault before, like over McLaren a couple of years ago. Now, obviously, that's changed. McLaren are on the rise, man. That that is that is my one thing. That's the one reason I think maybe it's a backwards step, just because you look at Ferrari over the trajectory. The lo- even the last couple of years, where they because obviously they were the best car for the first half of the 2018 season. But you know, it just feels like Ferrari is steadily trending down, whereas McLaren, having obviously gone from championship winning team to hitting absolute rock bottom in sort of 2017, you know, 2016, 2017, it feels like McLaren is back up on the rise. Whether or not they can make it to the top of the pack again, they're at least trending in the right direction. Yeah, and they did They did the smart thing. Like, they did what Ferrari probably should have done two or three years ago, which was, you know, our egos aren't big enough for us to have to constantly keep on you. And, like, last year, like, we talked about that Ferrari power unit. I did some extensive internet research and that thing definitely was not passing regulations and oh no it goes straight because the fia did the old oh um yeah we've we've investigated and ferrari can you know we'll just have to keep reporting to us um throughout the season just to make sure that everything's okay translation they found a loophole in the rules that would make the fia look <laughs> stupid if it got made public so we're not going to actually explicitly say what happened and since then that ferrari power unit has just absolutely plummeted because they're yeah. just constantly like they're pushing for the like the tiny little extra gains like they believe in themselves so much and they want to beat mercedes so bad that it's all just about like short term short term short term 
Whereas McLaren, after Alonso mm. left, and even while he was still there, stripped the whole thing down, back to bases, brought in Carlos, brought in Lando, and last year, slowly but surely throughout the season, started developing the car, like getting like you know, um, experience for those two younger drivers. And now they've got uh, a nice little highly rate Ricardo. Um, I just think as well, he's a, like all F1 drivers, a little bit of an egotistical maniac. Put him in a a fast car that actually has some pace to make overtakes. And it's going to be the same thing where once Danny Rick starts doing that, Lando's already showed like Scenario 7 is one hell of a drug. You give that to him and Danny Ricardo. I could see them with that Merc Power unit within two or three years, like fighting for podiums on a very consistent basis. And and you know what you're going to get with Danny Rick. Like he is, he definitely is. He's got a huge ego, maybe one of the biggest in the whole field, but he's incredibly consistent. I sort of, I think a lot of people commented on it when obviously he had that crash in practice at Styria. You just, that was, none of us, no one could remember the last time they'd seen Ricardo crash of his own, well, apart from when he reversed into Kvyat crash of his own accord he just he makes very very few mistakes he's gonna get you your car home in one piece as long as it doesn't fail you (laughs) Renault um and you know so he's gonna score you good points and I think that will gel very very well with Lando who possibly may even have Ricardo edged in terms of raw ability but is obviously still very young and very raw and you know has learning to do so you're gonna have that consistent piece there much, much, well, they said that's it. They've almost not like for like replaced, but it's a similar sort of thing to what Carlos is right now. You know, you've got a consistent piece there who's going to deliver you on a weekly basis, and then you've got that allows Lando to just sort of, you know, be a bit more, I guess, instinctive, a bit more of a loose cannon or a wild card. And some weeks it might go horribly wrong, and he'll do what he did this week and he'll finish P13. But other weeks, he's going to scenario seven his way onto the podium. Yep. It's definitely a better scenario for him. Scenario, that's a good word, isn't it? Uh, then word of the day. Renault. It is word of the day. Word of the week. Pretty sure it's the new McLaren team motto. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, as, as proud Australian fans, I want to see Ricardo in a car that will allow him to drive and drive well. And he's come out publicly and said that he believes in this Renault, that he thinks it could compete with the racing points in McLaren's. I completely disagree. I think it's A, not as fast. It's B, it's 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 just not reliable. I think, have they had a... I mean, Ocon was... They're yet to... Ha- oh, well, this was the first race both cars finished. But... Yeah, but even Ocon had some, had some struggles, and he hated the strategy that Cyril... Am I pronouncing this right? Cyril, Cyril a bit the ball? Yes, that is correct. Is that good? Old Cyril. He publicly condemned the strategy that Cyril uh, implemented in during qualifying. I think they went on a medium, but everyone else was on softs. Something yes. like that. Yes, and it was an interesting one considering they don't have enough pace to naturally get in there with mediums. Yes. And obviously we had the drama in stereo where Ricardo wasn't allowed to get past Esteban. Esteban, Esteban. And it yeah. For me, I cannot wait to see Ricardo in A, a better car and B a team that we know uh promotes teamwork and, you know, th- allows their drivers to actually race and race properly. Yeah, that's 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 all I have to say about Renault. It's not a lot to say because they're probably the most middle class team I've ever seen. But yeah, that's for me. They epitomise middle of the pack, don't they? Three races, three peaks of P eight. Consistency, consistency <laughs> is always the key. Yeah, consistently slightly average, indeed. Yeah, the signing of Danny is a big one. Cause I saw last night 
that in 201 races since 2010, there's only been 12 race winners. So you need... Yeah, so Button, Alonso, Vettel, Rosberg, Leclerc, Weber, Hamilton, Kimi, Bottas, Danny Rick, Max, and Maldonado. (laughs) Oh, that Spanish Grand Prix. That wasn't dodgy. Since 2010. So, like, and if you... And you look at those guys that are still there, like, we think Kimi's going to be gone next year. I don't think Alonso is going to be winning races with Renault next year. So you've only got a handful. You've got, what, Danny, Max, Hamilton, Bottas, Vettel, McClure. So you've got six people on the grid that have won a race in the last 10 years. Potentially only five, depending whether or not Seb is there, yeah. Exactly. So you need people in that car that have that and that's the thing with Danny Rick that you can never say um, he lacks is every single time he goes out and races he expects to win and he expects to be the fastest driver and oh, he yeah. puts like his he's overtaking got, he's, he's got is that second instinct. to none yeah exactly and that's going to help Lando because Lando's so like such a weird one for me because he's such a like especially when he was doing all the Twitch stuff he was he's so nice he's so funny like he's that awesome new personality he's but then like sport, you see yeah. him on the racetrack and he's an absolute savage. Like he just takes oh, yes. no prisoners. Like he's so like so strategic. And I want Danny to sort of show him the way and go, hey, like this is how you know, like watch him in the same car. So the lander starts to go, oh, if Danny's making you know overtakes on the outside or on the inside like that, then I can also do that. And I don't think there's ever going to be an issue issue with their egos in that team. Like no. Danny never had an issue with Seb, and that was when like Seb was getting consistently towards the end like out. Out qualify, out raised. Max probably has the the biggest ego of anybody in F one, which yeah. is like astounding. Um, like, and he does he does a good job of hiding it though. Max is very much <laughs> oh. like you know. <laughs> yeah, the same situation happened with Verstappen but... and Vettel in race two. Like um, Verstappen wouldn't have come out and apologized. No, that's and said that was that's definitely fault. like true, at yes. least. At least Leclerc has that PR, um, like, ego on him. I'm a staff, the staff would have blamed Vettel somehow. He shouldn't have turned down in on me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, he, sh- he should know that I'm going to make that overtake and he should ghost his I, car I, for I, me. I do actually think on what you're saying, that Ricardo Norris fit could almost be perfect because like, you can see... I think they're very similar sort of personalities in that sort of off-track 100%. to on-track sense. Ricardo oh, yeah. has always been that very, like, lovable, smiley way that everyone loves him sort of personality but yeah that then killer instinct take no prisoners on the track yeah and as you said Lando's a bit very similar Lando's possibly the most likable character in the whole F1 field now but yeah he's he's very very take no prisoners on track and so to see how to maximise that from someone like Ricardo. but as you said I was thinking yeah I think probably I think if they continue to move up the field to the top of the pack which is where you always start to see those ego clashes inside a team I think it has, yeah, potential to be a more harmonious pairing than probably even Orlando and Carlos did because I think Ricardo will just be a little bit more easygoing with it all than what I think Carlos yeah. would be. And I'm hoping the teams are starting to realise that it's not healthy for your team. Because, um, like, last week you brought up Deshaun with Ocon defensively driving against Ricardo, mm. costing him that time that had he have got that back probably takes Checo at the end and Lando doesn't have a chance to overtake him. 
Um, Ricard has been on the bad side of that as well. Like with like Max in 2017 and 20, oh, yeah. 2018, like, you know, been in both of the cars at turn one of Baku was like the big turning point. Most people think um, in that relationship, we've seen that since the Hamilton and Rosberg thing, while Bottas hasn't been as competitive as what Rosberg has been, there has been a few times where, like, you know, uh, Hungarian Grand Prix a couple of years ago, um, Hamilton thought he had the pace to get Kimi. Bottas let him through, but he said, hey, if I don't overtake Kimi, you can have this place back. Sure enough, on the last lap, on the last turn, he doesn't get it. He lets Bottas take that place back. Hamilton 10 years ago wouldn't have done that. Hamilton and Alonso in not. his first year, that would not have happened. And that shows that growth and maturity that comes from having guys like Nicky Lauda and Toto Wolff like, um, like presiding over things. Hopefully, yeah, like McLaren don't seem to be like the, like, oh, we need to have a number one and we need to have a number two and the blah, blah, blah. It's just simply don't crash into each other. Like, you know, race fair and like hopefully it just comes back to you. Like one race, Danny might have the pace and Lando lets him through. And then two races later, Lando's actually like lapping faster and Danny lets him go through as well. Like, I'd love to see that um, doing and the see them get into those Lando, thirds. Sure. Yeah. And those I two are just... I mean, it's sad that those two aren't going to be teammates anymore. Um, but... It is, because they have been one of the, fam- the most enjoyable pairings on the grid. That video of them whipping that McLaren around Spain and doing the, the milk bowl challenge <laughs> is just <laughs> absolute so, quality. So good. Has it always kind of been like this in Formula 1 where there's such an emphasis on player personality? And it's, Is that more just like a drive to survive thing? Like It's almost like a real, reality TV show. Well, drives to survive very much. They, did that change? Yeah, they said the they dramatised a lot of things, but I think I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like that old, like the old school of um, like yeah, over the years, like that idea of like you know the more dangerous a race is and the more dangerous you drive, like the the cooler and the better you are, has kind of dissipated a little bit, particularly in the last five years with um, Jules and. Um, um, Antoine last year, like sadly passing away, yeah. is that it's not it it's not Hamilton versus the rest anymore. It's Mercedes versus the rest. You know what I mean? It's like there are some races where Bottas is going to be insanely quicker than you because you both have a really good car, and that's okay. Like all we care about is if Bottas in, is in first, you worry about getting second. Like that's all it has to be. Like. Even Hamilton a few years ago, like when Rosberg was trying to um, won the championship in Abu Dhabi, he's like holding the field back behind him. Um, that's the only time that I'll allow that because that's him actually going for a world championship. But like the rest of the stuff that year was just garbage. Like the Austrian Grand Prix, like him crashing Rosberg out and him dropping from second to six on the last lap. Like that seemed like and I know that Toto said that he had a very big talking to Lewis after that race and they don't want that anymore because there's so much money in it as well now that you can't afford to lose even one point to your team you know if your teammate bins you and you're running ninth then you finish 12th or like you're out of the Grand Prix it was funny watching the race and there was a because they had like the fan cam on the big screen and like Hamilton was obviously racing ahead of everyone else and then they had Nico Rosberg up on the screen going yeah come on yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was quite enjoyable for me. 
as a Formula One expert, of course. But <laughs> well versed in Nico Rosberg. Hey? We've hit the forty minute mark. Are there any other big talking points from the race you want to touch on, Matthew? Before we um, get well, the driver market stuff, we definitely need to be talking driver market. Yeah, I want to talk oh. about the potential moves okay, that yeah, are happening, that, that, man. Yeah. Well, I think we should probably talk about a little bit about Haas and the strategy Ooh. that they ran. Ooh. In the race, oh, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't leave that out, can we? We got any Kevin Magnuson fans in the chat here? Uh, I don't think anyone's a Kevin Magnuson fan except for Kevin Magnuson. <laughs> we got any Roman Grosjean I'll, fans I'll, here? I'll lead. I'll lead you to talk about this, Jishan, because I know you had a a lot to um, say about this in the the you know sort of group chat of over, All right. over the well, there's, of the week. There's a bit of context here. Okay, everyone set out on inters, or I think Kevin Magnuson was on wets. Actually, he was the only wet. man on wets. Because there was supposed to be rain, rain that never came. Well, it was wet at the start of the race. That's wet, why they were all yeah. on inches, but it wasn't hella wet. Um, and then everyone's kind of, you know, scro- you know driving around. Doing, is that, so it's not a parade lab. What's it called? Well, that's the, the, form, the, that, the formation, that's the formation, formation lab. lab. Okay, great. Love that. I'm learning as I go here. Um, and a few drivers are kind of asking their technicians, hey, can I pit for dries? Because they're all instantly saying, okay, we can race on dries here. Danny Kvyat was one. He was like, hey, can I go on yep. to mediums, I believe he said. And he was rejected by the AlphaTauri guys. Uh, I think it was Grosjean who... It was one of the two. Grosjean and Magnussen. Well, Magnussen identified that yeah. Wets were not the time. I think it was K-Mag. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty it sure it was K-Mag. K-Mag. And then uh, Grosjean's Steiner. not that smart. Fair enough. I just want to give him some props, okay? <laughs> Gunther Steiner brings them both in. They both pit for drives. The only cars to, to do that. And then instantly, I think it was by lap three, they're racing three and four because everyone else had to pit, whereas they didn't. And um, you saw yep. from there, it was on the drivers to make the most of that position that they've been gifted, and they just about squeezed it in, thanks to some defensive driving from Grosjean, some really good driving from K-Mag, and they just squeezed in a P10 eventually. Technically P9, but due to the penalty... P9. Yeah, but they got penalised to P10 for Magnussen at the end. But what did you make of Haas's race? I mean, I'll rehearse it. Obviously, I've not got you know. I'm by no means a Haas fan. I don't have a lot of love for either Haas driver. But you've you've got to applaud them. You're a fair way down the grid. Pace has not looked good for Haas so far this year. So to take that gamble and to take it so well, and even whether or not they knew they were going to get the 10 second time penalty, even with the 10 second time penalties, are more than worth the risk because they made up way more than 10 seconds by doing that. So you've, you've got to applaud them, and you've got to applaud Magnussen for how well he fought. There was plenty of battles Magnussen was in where he lasted so much longer in those fights than you would have picked him to do in a car that is not all that great and has a Ferrari engine. <laughs> so, like, yeah, you just got to gotta give the props oh, to Most straight. parts from Ferrari. Well, yeah, yeah indeed. So, yeah. Was the penalty for going into the pits in the so formation? The penalty, the penalty is during that formation, that period engineers aren't allowed to give information to me. So the, the rule is there, and it's I think it's something about they're going to change so that you can actually call drivers in for tights. But it's there so like the engineers can't be looking at all the telemetry and be like, do a burnout here, do something, your, your, left, your left front's not getting warm enough, do something here to fix that. But unfortunately, it, it doesn't oh, okay. distinguish the difference between the engineer going and saying, hey, Pete, we'll put you on slicks, which was even Magnuson was the one who requested it anyway. Yeah. But I think, and I think that's a rule they've said okay. is going to change because it like it's completely fair enough for an engineer not be able to tell you where to get temp in the tires because you need to still have some independence for the drivers. 
but being able to be like, well, hey, the track's drying, let's, let's change the strategy up, pit for slicks. That's a completely different kettle of fish. Wow, kettle of fish, you reckon? Oh, damn. And you want to hate on Roman Grosjean, I know you do, because you hate the guy. But he did... He, he raced, did his job. He did the Esteban Ocon role, except it was on other races rather than his teammate. <laughs> you know, he was <laughs> driving defensively, giving Madison space to work with. Space oh, the superior Frenchman. <laughs> and he he was unlucky with that Albon contact yeah. as well. Like he, he lost did, a bit yeah. of his um, front right end plate, I believe, um, and you know that set him back a little bit. But overall, I thought the strategy was awesome because it was very much like a like. F1 2020 sort of strategy where the AI just aren't smart <laughs> enough to figure out that time difference and you just realise that if you can, you know, either pit early or wait for the rain to come, you can save yourself oh. 20 seconds. Like, they did that. Um, and I think it was great. It's great for the team overall where they can actually, like, they prove to themselves that it's you feel a lot better with a fast car behind you and being oh, able definitely. to hold it off, even though Hungary is a difficult track to do. And... More importantly as well, they were able to get a lot of data in dirty air. Um, and more to the point, like, you know, you, you talk about, like, you know, the losers getting some wins. Like, both cars managed to finish the race. Like, I'm one of them in the point. So that's a, you know, a double big tick. And um, much like from Drive to Survive, like, they could have looked like vankers or rock stars. And I think they came out of um, Hungary looking looking like rock stars. And it's good to see because I know there's a lot of financial pressure on Haas and Gunter to, there's, you know, there's, there's definitely been get some... results. And if I'm not mistaken, they finished fourth or fifth in the constructors. Oh, they certainly got... Back, didn't they? There was, a, there, was a, there was definitely a little window there where they were in the fight at the front half of the midfield. And, yeah, they have slipped away from that. And I think, yeah, there's been some speculation going around on that of whether Gene Haas will pull funding from the team and whether they'll even be on the grid next season. Yeah. So this is a huge result for them. And yeah, yeah, 2018, they finished fifth, um, 29 points behind Renault for fourth. So that's that's not too shabby. Don't talk about 2019, (laughs) though. Not not a good year at all. Big regression. shabby this year. Every point will count in that battle for last place um, with Williams and Alfa Romeo. I I think at this point, it's probably a good point, just before we jump on to a couple of the... Bigger things hanging around, looming around in Formula at the moment. Probably a good time just to have a quick talk about Williams, obviously. Mm. Second second straight week where qualifying pace was outstanding. George Russell put that car up in P12. You could hear, obviously, getting both cars through Q2, through to Q2 for the first time. In, in a long time. A, it was iconic. Oh, it was Claire Williams' birthday, man. They did it for her. It was sometime in early, early 2018, I think, was the last time that they'd done it. Jeez. You could tell just how ecstatic George was with his lap on the radio. Mm-hmm. First lap! First lap! And that. And then, obviously, he got that car all the way up to P12 with, honestly, again, I think for the second week running, outside of, you know, Lewis's pole lap, in terms of the machinery he's working with and just how smooth of a lap it was... George Russell may have had the second or third best lap in the entire field in qualifying. Yes, Matthew. You love George Russell. We know. I'm just calling it how I see it. He's struggling on race day, though. Yes. He's struggling well, on race day. Yeah, for, again, for the second week, well, for the third week running, come race day, Williams is absolutely nowhere. They biffed it, is what they did. What do you, what do you make of the situation at Williams, Spencer? Uh, it's tough. Um, 
like they probably have a lot of the youngest driver lineup um, there, and it just seems that at the moment the car with no fuel in it works really well. Um, like quality pace has been pretty pretty solid, particularly um, like George Russell's um, exploits. Like Latifi's looked pretty good, but I just a worrying thing for Russell is that I would say like on race day so far that Latifi's probably looked the the faster and the that has the more potential of the two. So what that comes down to, I'm not too sure. Um, I think with Williams, just again, like you've just got to lower those expectations. Like any time they can get, um, you know, both cars like through to the finish um, and just, you know, keep compiling that data and moving forward, um, it's got to help them. But it wasn't a good race. Um, like the conditions weren't great for, um, you know, any drivers that haven't had much experience, like a low track temps, like that possibility of rain. And you even see like a guy like, um, like Leclerc, like struggling um, in like in the Ferrari where Seb seemed to be driving a lot better. So um, I did read that they're getting a pretty big upgrade for Silverstone. Obviously that's Williams home base and um, Georgie Russell's um, home Grand Prix. So hopefully he has a little bit of vinegar for that one. I feel like they're close. Like they're getting close. Like it's it's good to see that we're like we're surprised at how well Williams are doing despite where they're finishing. And it actually seems like they're building towards something. So hopefully, like I you know they're up for sale at the moment. They're looking for people to invest and whatnot. Like hopefully they get some good money coming in because they're obviously like you know yeah. yeah. I mean he's he's by no means a pay driver that's got not hurt. But yes, Latifi is bringing in. Um, sponsorship, a lot more sponsorship and funding than, you know, your average driver, and certainly a lot more sponsorship of funding than he is necessarily outright pace. Although he's racing all right. He is racing all right. I mean, he got a great start. He got P8 or 9 before... No, definitely. He was into the points, yeah. And before that disastrous pit exit, which obviously tanked his, his race. It breaks your heart, doesn't that it? Just... Yeah. But that's like, you know... Those are things that you can like. Those are things you can look yeah. at and um, you can fix. Like it's not like a race where the pit stop was perfect. Like we got the fastest pit stop of the race and we which still is, finished which has been three laps behind years, the pace. It was like oh, we goofed up. Like an unsafe pit entry or sorry pit exit. Um, next time, let's just you know get that right. And I like I, I'd make a bold prediction. I'll I'll say that. I don't know which one, I think, but I'd say I mean, one of the Williams gets I'll, a point I'll, I'll, in Silverstone. I'll, I'll I'm going to go out there and say that's it. That's it. It's just, it feels like... The start of the year, mate. There's, it, just, it just feels like, for the first time in several years, there is true hope at Williams. Obviously, obviously they are up for sale looking for investors and that, but, you know, they've re-signed both drivers for next season, and when that first happened, there was a little bit of a feeling of, oh, God, that's George. We, you know, we were all hoping George could move further up the grid. That's, you know, locked in you know, lo- locked in for another year. But at the same time, if that's thing, if they can continue with these steady improvements, then, you know, I'm not I'm not uncomfortable with Russell being there for another year. It means he's got a seat on the grid and, you know, William, uh, obviously apart from their recent struggles, Williams is, you know, one of the traditional teams of Formula 1. It should be a good environment. So it's just, just nice to see them, you know, not being laps behind. Well, as opposed to, yeah, just being bad, it feels like a... Well, for a start, the qualifying paces look great. Race pace is bad, but they're working to improve it. Uh, both drivers came out and said that they'd identify the problem, that it was the aero, that they were struggling in dirty air, um, that the car had become difficult to control when, basically, when they're in the pack. And you've seen that with Russell's failed overtake 
Uh, yeah. uh, in stereo, stereo that might explain what happened there rather than just uh, basic that, that was just it was also driver error but too, too overconfident put it in a bad spot you've also yeah. seen him struggle to overtake guys yes absolutely they, they, they can't really that. apart from at the start they don't seem to be able to go for it. I think for Williams horribly unlucky that Monaco's not on the calendar <laughs> if there was ever a spot where they were going to be able to hold their start positions down it would have been Monaco so that's a that's an unfortunate one but um, definitely on the rise, I think, for Williams, uh-huh. as opposed to um, a, a, a contender for last pay, place there, which is Alfa Romeo, who are going in the opposite direction. All right, well, I think perhaps now the big thing for this week to touch on, both in terms of in the race and away from the track, it's time to talk racing point, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I we, like we, have, we have skirted around them so far, but obviously firmly possibly firmly sort of established themselves as probably third best team on the grid locking out the second row in qualifying mm. fourth place finish for Lance Stroll a little bit disappointing for Sergio he just slipped back and only managed seventh he had a bad start but yeah it wasn't a good start and he was as you say he was complaining of neck pain throughout the race he'd been unwell since qualifying dizziness neck pain yeah etc so but obviously, oh, we're talking about the Mercedes B team. Sorry, I was yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, pink, pink, pink Mercedes, pink, right, pink Mercedes, yeah. pink Mercedes. Yeah, yeah. the pink arrows, totally legitimate Mercedes <laughs> yeah. B. But um, obviously, the big story there is the speculation surrounding what that driver lineup will be next year and whether or not Sebastian Vettel will be likely joining Lance Stroll there, and I'll throw to you Spencer to sort of get your comments on that it seems like it's a, a done deal by the by the looks oh. of it like um, there's a massive hashtag going on in Mexico at the moment for um, keep Checo that even it's all um, you Perez's can see family if... members are re- reposting and resharing so it's all you can um, find on Racing Point social media like if you whenever they put something up on Facebook or Twitter you go into that comments and it is just Almost every single comment is keep Checo, hashtag keep Checo, hashtag keep Checo. And like, I, I feel bad for for Sergio if um, what I believe to happen will happen with Vettel making the move there. But um, at the end of the day, it's a business. Um, the people in your car need to drive your car well. And at this point in their careers, Vettel is far and away a better driver than Perez. Um, and despite the sponsorship money that he brings in, I don't think Daddy Stroll cares too much about that. He cares more about getting that Aston Martin um, car up to the front. And he's put a lot of money. I think he's a 25% um, stakeholder in Aston Martin yep. as a company now. And he wants to get that car up to the front. And I think Vettel helps him do that. I prefer Perez to stay there than Stroll, but obviously yeah. that's not going to happen um, unless Lance Stroll just decides to die tomorrow. Um, so Lawrence should just buy him a seat in one of the other teams. Lance raced well in Hungary. Lance did race well. Oh no, he did. He did race well. Don't get me wrong. Um, Doesn't mean you have to like but him. But I think it's uh, like, yeah. What's well, it? Um, and how's how's he going to go constantly getting beaten? by battle if he moves there next year like how's that going to go for his yeah. ego and confidence if he's constantly the the number two driver 
Um, Lawrence might make him number one. Because you could that would be stupid. <laughs> I don't think Lawrence, <laughs> Lawrence isn't that dumb. Well, I think it's one of the things, obviously, just to to say that I I don't know whether I entirely agree with your assessment of Vettel being comfortably better than Perez, but you know, it's also hard to say with the different cars that they're in. But I think that's the thing on the flow of that. I think Perez is comfortably better than Stroll, but obviously Perez is not the owner's son, and Perez is the one mm-hmm. with the um, exit clause in his contract. But I think even that's the thing. It seems like I've been looking at a few stories about it this week. Sergio seems realistic enough about it. Obviously, for right now, he's saying, "Well, I'm, you know, I've got a contract with the team." He but seems he, defeated. He, he, seems he like even he's, he's even come out and said, "You know, if I was the owner, like I wouldn't kick my son out." So, like, you know, yes. he understands that. And I think as long as as long as Sergio finds another spot on the grid for next season. That's not, and hopefully, you know, not horrible. And like you think he would, he, he will. will. That's the thing. He's got that backing in that. But it looks like it'll be either Alfa Romeo or Haas. Yes, but, you know, disheartening. It is. I hope it's. I hope it's Haas. I think that could be a. I, I also. A match I made also in hope it's Haas. In disguise. I think bit of extra funding from Perez. Who knows what Haas could do? It's a, it's it's a tough one because obviously I think you think. Perez, considering after obviously it's he got unlucky with when he got given the McLaren seat and that didn't go well. But ever since then, he's been with Force India. He's shown now Racing Point. He's shown incredible loyalty. He has said that he's had times where he's turned down offers, possibly better offers from other teams to stay with Force India. Obviously, you know, with the money he's brought in, there was a point in time where I think he just about saved the jobs of everyone at Force India with the money he was able to bring in and that. But again, as you said, you know the end of the day formula one is a business and like all of that happened before Lawrence yep. Stroll took over the team so as much as you know as much as engineers and mechanics at force india at racing point possibly have a lot of loyalty to Sergio Perez Lawrence Stroll owes him nothing right here right did you say Lawrence Stroll is a 25% exactly. like has stake owner of Aston Martin yeah so he he's purchased he basically he wanted to get Aston Martin yeah. I think the rough logistics yeah. and Spencer you can maybe correct us on this the rough gist is he approached, he wanted Aston Martin to come on as, you know, a naming rights sponsor of Racing Point, and they were a bit like, oh, our situation's not great, and probably not, and he was like, all right, well, I'm just going to buy a huge... <laughs> I'll I'll, I, will, I will pump a whole lot of my money into your company <laughs> under the condition that you wow. get on board with Racing Point and put a certain amount into Racing Point, and then I think when all this COVID stuff's happened... And Aston Martin sort of got a little bit cold feet again. He went, all right, well, I'll put in even more. I'll up my stake. Yeah. you got to get on board and make us Aston Point, Aston Martin Racing Point for next season. This is a little pet project, right. isn't it, Lawrence Stroll? Oh, he's a man with a lot of money and not much to do with mm-hmm. it. So, you know, why not? Bloody hell. You eventually, yeah. you reach that, you so reach yeah, that point where you're like, oh, I'm going to buy a Formula 1 team. I'm going to buy a car company to sponsor my Formula 1 team. <laughs> Yeah, I read an article where pretty much he yeah got a twelve and a half percent stake in it um, to say that they had to at least put a hundred million dollars into the team um, in, for the next three or four years. Mm-hmm. They agreed. They got up to about a billion in debt um, once around COVID started. He doubled down on that offer, um, and now yeah he owns like a quarter of Aston Martin. They're now doing a lot better financially. They've now increased the amount of money that they'll give to Racing Point each season. And then also now, like by the looks of things, Aston Martin's going to have their name on a you know 
best of the rest possibly, contending yeah. car for the next three to four years and any money that the team makes he makes and then any money that Aston Martin makes he makes a quarter mm. of that back because he now owns a quarter of the company so he's really just like played the system perfectly <laughs> yeah. I will say as, as bitterly just yeah. point out to you Sergio move on if all of this has come together and worked its way and as a whole saves Aston Martin the car company I'll, I'll, Big fan. I'll, I'll put my hand up and say it, that's worth it. Aston Martin is a brand worth keeping around. So, hopefully they change deliveries. The yeah, well, be, I think be, I think I've read somewhere that because I saw a few people talking about that, the fact that maybe we'd see a bit more of a change to the sort of traditional Aston Martin British racing green. I was about to say, really? But, oh, but no. BWT, no. I think BWT is contracted on as you know a sponsor for oh. at least another few seasons, and the car is pink because of that. That's just so. I, I saw a few people point out could see a fun combination of BWT pink and the now Aston Martin lime green, which oh. sounds very not good. It sounds. <laughs> I mean, look, oh, I look. See. It'd be nice to see if someone can make a worse looking livery than the what the. Williams was going to be before Rocket disappeared from the face of the earth. But, um, we'll, 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 you know, hold back until we actually see what the car looks like next year. Fair enough, fair enough. It, it does look like Vettel will go to RP, um, because it's confirmed he won't go to Red Bull. Christian mm-hmm. Horner has said publicly, we will not sign Seb Vettel. Don't Never. think he's got a Mercedes now either with Bottas re-signing. Bottas has re-signed, exactly. Plus Hamilton does us all a favour and decides that he only wants seven world titles. Yeah, well, I mean, I doubt it. What a spanner in the works that would be if he, he did that, though. Because all their other drivers are contracted up everywhere else. I just, I don't know. I it's, it's sound, racing Point is the next option, isn't it? A ra- racing, racing, I think Racing Point is the only seat Sebastian Vettel will take in that grid. If that doesn't, if for some reason that falls through... He'll either take a few years off and then come back, or... I love Fernando Alonso. Yeah. Oh, well, I think... I don't, I don't even think it'll be... Yeah. I'm not sure whether he'll take... Yeah, Fernando Alonso took years off driving elsewhere. I think Sebastian Vettel might just not do anything for a couple of years, or mm. he'll just fight out retire. And I think if he retires from F1, he will be retiring from motorsport. I can't really see Sebastian Vettel going to endurance or sports cars or anything else, IndyCar. Oh. And he's got a family exactly. and like a he, two does. or three young children, so he'd want to use that time off to just um, you know reset. But like with all those moves going, like I like you know sort of glossed over it. But um, Checo and the Red Bull could be a potential sneaky option if Albon oh, isn't resigned just, or I, moves see, back down to. I, I know I, th- I threw that out there just in conversations between us like during the week, but then I thought about it more, and because I've I've sort of bought in to the Red Bull second seat conspiracy theory that, you know, they're just going to sort of undermine whoever is with Max to make sure they can't compete with Max. And I just, I don't want that for Sergio. I'd rather Sergio is continuing to do what he's done for his whole career and overdrive cars to P8 and three points than him get to potter around in P4, P5 every week. But as a clear number two, never getting anything favourable for him as he just has to, you know? I think it's more likely, likely that Gasly just takes his old seat back. Than oh, see, I actually, to t- circle back to when we were talking about Albon, I think the biggest thing going in Albon's favour is right now is there's no one better to put in his seat. Like, Gasly, yeah, Gasly's, Gasly, well. Gasly's doing very good, but I don't know whether... Is, is Gasly setting the world on fire enough for them to 
throwing back because he was setting that he was in, he was in theory setting the world on fire back when he was at Toro Rosso the first time and they put him in there and he failed and they really want to go back to Gasly so quickly yeah, yeah, and more experience well, I saw him say last night he said there's no chance of a second chance yeah, at Red Bull like he he doesn't no, believe I, think I can't see Kvyat going back there again no, of course not and as someone who is following um, the lower tiers fairly avidly this year, I don't think any of their academy drivers... Well, I mean, I don't know whether I'd say any of their academy drivers would be ready to, you know, step into Alpha Tauri to take over from Kvyat or something. Certainly, I don't see them putting a Yuki Sonoda straight into the Red Bull seat. So they're almost... Albon's possibly going to get lucky in that they're almost, you know, a less they break from that Red Bull mold and they bring someone like, you know, Perez in from outside of the team. Albon's pretty they're, much their They're not even staying in-house, though, aren't they? They are. Oh, Red Bull... Uh, the last time... Okay, Red Bull hasn't brought in someone from outside of their own driver program since, like, when they formed the team and, you know, brought in, yeah. like, DC and... Yeah, DC and Mark Webb. Cool right. Like, Vettel was a product of their driver academy... Oh, sorry, Sebastian Bourdais would be the last one because he came up through Champ Cup, but I believe Boemi was part of their academy. And then, obviously, Adjaswari, Sainz, Verstappen, Kvyat, Gasly, Albon, Brendan, good Brendan drivers, Hartley. Man. These have all been guys who have been, at, at least at some point in their career, and with exception, I think, Hartley, when they've signed, they've all been Red Bull Academy drivers who have come up through that program. They don't, yeah, they, they don't go out of house. Helmut Marco doesn't let that happen. Should remember that Gasly and Verstappen are old friends, like they were karting together. So maybe, I mean, pretty much all the youngsters in Formula One right now have grown up karting together. Specifically, maybe. it depends how much power Verstappen has over his team. You know, I feel like if he wants to drive with his friend, they might just let him do that. You know, if him and Albon don't catch go Lando along. Norris going to Red Bull in twenty twenty two, perhaps. <laughs> oh, well, the longer Kvyat gets to stay around, he drove very well on the weekend. By the way, he was very impressive. He was solid, solid. solid. The longer he stays around, the happier I'll be. I don't know whether Kvyat's on the grid next year. We'll have to wait and see. I I loved when he came back, and I was super stoked to see him get that podium last year as a bit of a have that. But at the same time, as much as I will miss the hard base memes, I think Kvyat's run his course, and I'm ready to see someone fresh and new in that seat come next year. He's a stalwart, mate. He races well every week. He races a slightly above average. (laughs) But significantly worse than his teammate. So what you're saying is he's a lot better than Antonio Giovinazzi. Yes. <laughs> That's not saying much, because I think Giovinazzi is someone uh, you'd put in the discussion for worst driver on the grid. Along with Romain Grosjean and Nicholas Latifi through no fault of his own. Fair enough. I've got no more to add, so unless you boys have some yarning to do... Might go make breakfast. <laughs> I certainly, I've, <laughs> I've certainly said my piece. Unless you've got anything you would still like to touch on, Spencer. No, I think I've said my piece. Maybe just um, end up with a couple of sneaky predictions for the British oh. Grand Prix. Man, the new well, boy knows what's I mean, up. That's a great call. Well, I think we'll we'll have a show next week when we're a little bit closer to Britain, so we could probably leave predictions for then when we've got. Oh, is it not this week? No. No, 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 because yeah, we've got a, we've got a week off now. So yes, so for the I first time this season, early on a Sunday night. Triple, yeah, triple, <laughs> triple had a triple had a number one is done. So I finally get a Monday off where I don't have to wake up at five in the morning to chuck in a race before going off to work. 
Um, oh, but yeah, so week off, week off. <laughs> Imagine having a job in today's <laughs> climate. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is my job. Is <laughs> a slave to the system. Oh, dear. But yeah, so we're not quite sure what we'll be doing next week, but I think we're pretty confident we will be bringing something to the table. In whatever form it's in, we will be back next week. And this has been another episode of Rear the Grid. Thanks, guys. We can do it. We can do it. And thanks, man. You did amazing. I had, I had everything I needed, man. I want to kiss you. I want to kiss you, man. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs>